Hey, everybody. Welcome to D3 Glory Days on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. I'm Noah, joined as always by my co-host, Stu. We've got kind of an interesting episode coming up. It felt a little weird for me um, as Stu turned the microphone on me and we had a, a talk about our college experience. And so uh, anyway, that's coming up. But first, a couple of business items. One, if you like this podcast, um, helping us spread the word is much, much appreciated. You can do so just by telling a friend or you, more importantly, perhaps, you can leave us a review on your podcast app. And to incentivize that, um, this week, if you write us a review, screenshot it, and then share in your Instagram stories and tag us, we will give away one D3 Glory Days t-shirt to a lucky winner who does that. And so we'll be keeping an eye out for your submissions this week. You can follow along at our website, d3glorydays.com or on social media we are on twitter instagram and strava you can join the d3 glory days strava running club okay that is the business and Stu is here for the details yeah today you've heard his voice before asking the questions this time he's answering the questions today's guest is noah Drotti, the man himself I threw in a little bit of my experience as well. And if you want to hear more about my experience, smash that like button. I can tell you all about the time I was all conference at the NCAC in 2013, but it's not about me. It's about Noah and his career at DePauw. Turns out Noah's career was one that many D3 people can relate to. He came in, he was okay, and he left a better runner with more in the tank for his pro career. We went into how he was at a high school team that wasn't very competitive and how the team at DePaul turned his competitive spirit around as it was something that he can connect with and be a part of just a bunch of people who wanted to get better at running. Noah left DePaul as a two-time All-American and qualified for the track nationals just once that's right, just once. But you know what? He went to the Olympic trials. And that's what it's all about, folks. Put in the work, getting better each and every day. And Noah exemplified that in his college career. And we learned more about that here in his first exclusive interview solely on his college career, Noah Drotti. And here's the glory days. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days, the number one D3 running podcast in Australia. Down under, mate. Oh. We're back yeah. <laughs> for more action this week. And we decided to flip the tables a little bit here. It's been, what, 36 episodes prior to this. And we have intermittently told about our experiences. And if many of you are a fan of Noah, you have heard his story maybe told throughout other podcasts, such as the Sidious Mag podcast, such as Run Your Mouth podcast, both of which are on the Sidious Mag podcast network. You're welcome, Chris Chavez. And so now it's time to get a little bit more detailed. In Noah's career, I'll add how I was a one-time all-conference runner, no big deal. And we'll see how this conversation goes. My goal 
is to talk to Noah without using his TFERS and seeing how well I remember his career. And we'll talk about the times that I beat him as well. So with that said, Noah, welcome to your podcast. Thank you, Stu. I, I love how you said we're going to flip the tables instead of turn the tables. And now I'm just imagining us like angrily, <laughs> like throwing furniture across the, <laughs> across yeah, the room. We're, we're just going to get angry while talking about our careers at DePauw and, and remembering the glory days at DePauw University in Greencastle, Indiana. Is it turn, turn it's, some, it's turn the tables, not flip the tables? It's turn, turn the tables, flip the tables like we're listening to DMX and we're angry. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, we'll turn the tables <laughs> around here for a little bit. Um, you know, Noah, first question, have you ever listened to this podcast? I have. Oh. Not, I, I listen to every podcast at least two times. Oh, okay, good. So you, you kind of know the, the gist then of how we, how we go through this uh, and where we start from the beginning. But, you know, your story is, is told many of times, I want to say. I believe people who, who listen to us have probably listened to you on other podcasts. So I think before we kind of drive into your high school career, I want to, you know, maybe flip that or turn that around and we're go flipping this too. Yeah. We're going to flip this and go straight into your college career. You know, the gist of it is Brian power, St. Olaf college coach was your high school coach. You weren't really sure if you wanted to run in college and Brian power, mentioned, Hey, look at DePaul, you handwritten your application to DePaul, which is just hilarious, but let's, let's dive into DePaul and talk about that experience. You know, DePaul for those that maybe aren't as familiar with our great university, they're pretty dominant in the early two thousands. And you came into a team that had just won a conference title, I believe in cross country and had some strong runners and you're thrown into the mix as just one of three freshmen. So what was that like, you know, being a part of a brand new team as someone who maybe wasn't super competitive in high school? I was just really excited to be around a group of, of runners who loved it enough that they continued to run after high school and guys that I knew were better than me. I had always been the top runner in high school and uh, I went to a really small high school. And so I think we only fielded a full team of five runners, uh, two out of four years I was there. And so it wasn't a very like cooperative work environment. It was just like, I, you know, it was a really small pond. And so the idea of going to a school where every day I was going to be around, you know, 15 or 16 dedicated runners was really exciting to me. Um, you kind of had an opposite experience. You, you had a pretty uh, high caliber high school team, didn't you? Yeah, we were in the biggest division in Illinois and Illinois is a pretty good running state. And we were fifth my senior year and I was the fifth runner. And that was kind of similar to you. I wanted to continue that, but I didn't want to be a top dog or having to try to fight to earn a spot. I wanted to kind of contribute right away because I just wasn't ready to give up a, a team yet. And that's what appealed me to DePaul because I saw at times I was like, I think I could, you know, do well here. And DePaul just presented that opportunity to continue to run. And I think I really was motivated because I had a decent progression from high school. I started as a 20, 33 miler and ended as 1544. And so I was hoping to continue that progression into DePaul. 
you, you know, for, for yourself, was it weird? This is all in hindsight because I know this all, but is it, was it weird being just one of three freshmen on a team and you're surrounded by a bunch of older upperclassmen? Like, was that a daunting task for you to try to figure out where you fell within the team? Yeah, to some extent, I think I would have, you know, I, I had originally like imagined being a part of a, a bigger class and, you know, the idea of like bonding most closely to my class and then going through all four years together, um, you know, w- sounded awesome to me. But in reality, I was one of three and I was the only one of those three who ended up running the next year. Um, and so pretty quickly, it became clear that, you know, my people weren't going to be my class necessarily, even though I liked those guys, they just weren't going to be my, my like long-term teammates or friends. And so I, I actually bonded closest with the seniors. There was a senior class of six guys um, and they all lived together and they worked super hard. Like they were huge inspirations to me freshman year. Um, and so I bonded really quickly um, with them which was awesome until you realize that sophomore year, like they're all going to be gone, you know? And so I think I had maybe an atypical experience that way. And that I immediately bonded closest with the oldest guys. Yeah. I remember my recruiting visit was, that was a big appeal was getting taken over to the runner house and seeing everyone. And in the conversation wasn't just about running, it was more so, you know, school and life. And it just seemed a very close knit, which, you know, it's such a fun thing to have in college to just have a group of people who you can, you know, go to hell with and, and run hard and know they have your back. You know, speaking of that, your freshman year, you, you get thrown into the mix right away. You are part of the varsity lineup um, within, by the time you hit the conference meet, you know, what was that experience like trying to run for a conference title and traveling all the way down to what, was it Georgia Hendricks or the Hendricks was... Alabama you guys went to Georgia that year right your freshman year yeah we went to Georgia yeah I mean I when I got there I had really expected to like have some have some time you know have to put in some time before I made a varsity squad but I mean the very first meet of the year I was supposed to be like an alternate for the varsity team and then a guy got sick and I ended up running in the varsity race my very first 8k and I remember being like oh okay wow but then I think as, as has kind of been a general theme in my running career, I just adapted to the, the playing field kind of, and just kind of slowly ended up making my way, you know, up the scoring roster. And, and yeah, by the time we got to the conference, I was, you know, definitely one of those guys who should have been targeting a top five spot. Um, some of the team leaders were kind of faltering um, as was maybe a theme for, our team and maybe we get into this later but motivation was always kind of a fickle thing like it was hard to get seven guys firing at the same time and we really struggled with that that year and so I took on more of a leadership role as I improved just because I was like all right you know I know these guys are depending on me and like and all of our top runners kind of fell apart in that race Um, I had a pretty decent day and you know, we were definitely disappointed, which would be kind of another theme of like narrow misses at, at conference races. Um, but it, it did, it was exciting to me to be able to fight for a conference championship and like have those opportunities. Cause in high school, our team never won anything. You know, I never, we never made it to state. 
I competed in the postseason as an individual. And so just to be on a, on a competitive team, um, kind of scratched that itch for me for sure. Yeah. I think your story is always interesting because of the journey that you've taken and you've never even ran at the state meet before, uh, which just shows that, you know, anything can happen if you just if you stay motivated, but having, you know, little experience with bigger meets, you know, you said you ran in the postseason but missed the state meet, you know, what was that regional experience? Like you all ran at Terre Haute with high expectations, I guess, given the team and given what you've accomplished the year prior, you know, you guys again, fall short and you were what the second or third guy for that year, that, that race. That sounds right. I only really remember my overall position, which was like in the seventies, I think, but yeah, I would have been, you know, pretty far up there on our team. I remember passing uh, Zach Weinberg, who was our, our number one guy on paper, but had been struggling with motivation all year and, and passing him in what was his last race as a DePaul athlete and just like being extremely sad, you know, because one, I realized that our team's day was over. I saw Zach's career ending. And then I was also like stepping into this leadership role um, a lot younger than, you know, what I had kind of hoped for or expected. And so I feel like, I, I feel like every race, everybody does there's like a couple frames of it that you'll remember like kind of forever and I, I still remember that happening at regionals you know having that experience of passing him during the race you know you mentioned that you you, you felt sad where did your drive come from then to kind of keep going and it almost seems like a theme then for you is like you kind of see this transitional period happened in a race you know what was that was that something that stuck with you then as you kind of continued your career at DePaul well in the moment when it was in real time you know I understood that if Zach was not having a good race then everybody else would have to pick up as much slack as possible and so that that was the real-time emotion of it I think the kind of lasting um you know impact of it was that like I just understood that I didn't want to be that guy my senior year who a freshman was passing kind of shaking their head, you know, like I, I didn't want to be that like sad story. Next season is indoor season. Yet You get hurt pretty early on. Did your leadership role at the team switch at all since you weren't able to race or what was your role then being injured as a freshman? Yeah, that, that was kind of difficult. I, I was injured like immediately, like I maybe ran a race. I don't even remember if I ran a race. And so I, and then I didn't run at all the rest of the year. And so, you know, the, yeah, the, the track at the paw then was not taken as seriously as cross country and the team was not as closely knit during the track season. And so to some extent it was easy for me to kind of take a step back and just disappear, you know, like I, I try to be, I try to be present, but I didn't necessarily have to be the guy, I guess, <laughs> anymore. Um, but I just tried to be a good teammate as, as best as I could. But I think as a lot of people experienced during injury, I just needed to get away from it sometimes and not have that pressure. And so I was super disappointed, but also at the time I was like, well, I've got a lot of running left, you know, I'll just, I can chill out, you know? 
with being injured in a small campus, you know, what extracurriculars did you get into? I know when did the passion for the radio show come about? Yeah, that, that would have been that same time frame. You know, I was definitely looking for some other things to fill my time because like, you know, in high school, music was a big part of my life. I wasn't playing music anymore. Running was now the biggest part of my life, but I wasn't running anymore. And so the two like biggest things that I'd always depended on to like fill my time. Now I was doing none of those. Academically, I had kind of a scare my first semester where I just was not doing the work and my grades were just um, unacceptable to me. And so in that second semester, I was putting in and, you know, I was not like a honor roll student all of a sudden, but I was definitely putting in, you know, more time in the life. I was forcing myself to go to the library a couple hours a night. And, you know, I heard that DePaul had a really cool community radio station, too. And so I filled out an application. It was like surprisingly easy to get a gig doing that. And um, and I mean, the other thing is at DePaul is like everybody was rushing um, fraternities and sororities at the time and I was not and so that was kind of a hard time in my college life because I felt extremely isolated because I wasn't running all my friends were joining Greek houses and uh, I felt like I was just kind of like you know f- forgotten almost I actually filled out transfer applications that semester but I never ended up sending them but you know some things like the radio station were able to like ground me to some extent just to survive that first year with all that hardship going on and and not being able to run you know did was there ever in the back of your mind that you had a lot more left in running or where was your motivation with running at that time you know I've always been able to uh, my motivation is either on or it's off and when I can't run you know, it's off. Like I'm not a runner when I can't run. I'm not cross training. I I mean, I do now, but at the time I just didn't identify as a runner at all when I wasn't running. Um, And so in some ways that's like a good coping mechanism (laughs) because you, you just wait until your body feels better again, and then you become a runner again. And so I just kind of was like, you know, this sucks. Like, I wish I was running, but I can't run. And I could honestly barely walk. Like I was extremely injured. Um, my hip was really messed up. Like I was in pain every day, just walking. Um, but eventually I was like, you know what? It's going to feel better. And when it does, I'll start running again. And so I just kind of turned my brain off until it felt better. It's interesting to hear that you're able to disassociate yourself with being a runner. Cause I think a big theme of your career has you've, you know, suffer pretty big lows in terms of injury and time off. And almost immediately that next season you experience or the next race, almost in your career, you experience pretty high highs. You know, is that something that you think early on at DePaul was able to not only help you the rest of college, but then also in your um, aspiring pro career? I think I learned that, you know, you, that you can go from a low place to a high place. I think just learning that lesson, um, is really important. And so when you're in that low place of like not being able to walk to class without pain, you know, you still know that (laughs) six months from now, it could be totally different or a year from now, it could be totally different. All you need is a streak of health and an injury doesn't mean you're a worst runner. It just means that the timeline is now going to be, the runway is longer, you know, it's going to take longer to get to where 
you think you can be. And I think I've just always understood that. And that doesn't necessarily make injuries any easier. Like they're always devastating, but I also just like take as truth the fact that like, when I do recover, like I can, if you give me, if you give me three months or six months, like I can get back to where I was. Um, I have faith in that. And so, yeah, definitely that roller coaster started, um, kind of my senior year of high school, but also that, that freshman year at DePaul and then coming back as a sophomore, um, I improved a lot. Yeah. When did you get back into running consistently? Because a certain freshman, you know, shows up on campus and just kicks your ass in the, in the opening time trial. So yeah. you know, just out of curiosity, when did you get, you get going again? Um, <laughs> this is, that was a great question, Stu. Uh, yeah. So I, I kind of got going again, like around spring break that year, but then I got hurt again. And so um, basically some, I got through that summer getting up to like 30 or 40 miles and like coming back to campus being like, I'm really glad that regionals isn't until November or whatever, because I was going to need the whole year to catch up. But then I was like very quickly humbled by you and Adam at the two mile time trial, which people should know that like the two mile time trial is like the first workout of college. It's like the first week of, of college, but it's like, it's given like an undue amount of importance, right? Like people, oh, yeah, yeah, it, it's a race. Like people take it seriously. Like um, spiked up high school singlets on, like everyone is just ready to go. And yeah. that year, especially the upperclassmen, they like made it a tactical race. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't know where well, you the, were. Because the rule was kind of like, you come through in five minutes and then you run as fast as you can over the second mile. Yeah, and that year I remember, cause it's the biggest negative split I think I've ever had. And we, mm -hmm. we came through in 516 and Eric on one Eric leg. Yeah, Eric Holly with probably like, you know, two ligaments left in his leg goes screeching yeah. around the, all of us with a mile to go and we just take off. And I remember at 200 meters ago, it's just me, Pete, Adam, and Nick Pusillo, and you're nowhere to be found. And let me tell you, this is, hindsight is just amazing looking back and how much I just destroyed you in this race. And I remember looking at Nick and I was like, can we go? Cause I didn't know what to do because you're a freshman and like, can you outkick the senior captain? And Adam and I almost go one, two and Adam Cecil, he's was my freshman year roommate ran at the York high school for all you Illinois people out there. Um, yeah, we went one, three and just kicked Noah's ass and held it over him literally till this day. Yeah. I, I think I ran like 10 07. I remember because I was like, well back. And I was just like, and there's actually this great picture of you and Adam, like kind of grinning at each other after I, i'm seeing it in my brain i'll try to find it but you guys are just you're just like looking at each other maybe that was a different race but anyway i was just like man i need to like step it up because you know i was like not in the top five probably but i still i still thought that like you know by the end of the year i'd be fine which just, I think makes your story even crazier for that year, because not that the two mile time trial is the end all be all of it all, but you know, that first race and our first AK, we're supposed to pack it up, which we did. Like we all ran together and it's a bunch of pictures from that. I think like six of us were running at intercollegiates, which is a pretty cool race. And, you know, I thought, did you break 28 that day? Yeah. I ran the 27s, but it was like the hard way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, with, with that in mind, you 
you know, you had some success your freshman year and then were hurt, but now, you know, you're kind of top seven, top eight fringe guy, yet you knew you could still, you know, were you able to handle not being the guy or at least in the top three well early on in the season, or were you starting to panic at all that you weren't coming into fitness yet? I don't remember panicking because I knew the amount of work I had done to that point and it wasn't much like I, I felt like I was racing about how I should have been racing um, for the amount of work I've done and you know we have this uh, our uh, you know unofficial team motto at DePause is ride the snake um, don't ask us why nobody knows it's been that way forever um, but the snake is long meaning the the season is long and so you know, I really took that to heart, you know, I was just like, all right, the snake is long, like, I'm, you know, really just in the very beginning of this right now, um, and so every race was just like an opportunity to get a little better, get a little better, um, and by the end of the year, I was, I was starting to run pretty well. Yeah, I mean, just being your teammate at the time, you know, we were pretty strong, and then all of a sudden, because I think I was our five before you got back into it, and now all of a sudden, we're, we're six deep seven deep for the most part heading into those races we all ran pretty well at Oshkosh and I want to say that was the like the race that maybe turned your season around because you were I think our third guy that day but you ran like right in sync with our one and two running like 25 40s um and I think our split was 40 seconds from one to seven. And so I think as a team, we were feeling pretty confident knowing that you were coming on really strong. Did you have higher aspirations then at that point of either individual or team goals heading to nationals? At that particular point, I was still only thinking of about yourself. A team, uh, yeah, about myself. No, Stu, the opposite of a team advancing to nationals. And I, and which was always my goal at DePaul was to take a team to nationals. Like I thought that experience would have been really special um, because my freshman year I had gone to nationals with the guys to watch the women's team. And, you know, we just got like super drunk the night before and just like had a good time or whatever. But at, at the meet, I was like, whoa, this is like the energy here is incredible. Like we have to get here, you know? And then with the talent coming in, your freshman year, my sophomore year, I was like, okay, we can do it. I, I don't think I really had individual aspirations until before regionals, um, maybe around conference time. I remember coach Corey, who we've had on the show before, if you want to go back and listen to his episode, um, he came up and he was just like, Hey, like, I just want you to know that you can make nationals, you know, as an individual. And I had never thought about that really. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And that kind of gave me, um, the permission I needed, I guess, to like really set that as a goal and make that a reality. Yeah. Cause we, we came off losing the last time DePaul was in the SEAC to Colorado college by like 15 points. And I think we head into the regional meet with kind of like, all right, that's behind us. This is in front of us. And do you remember that we're getting really granular in your, in your sophomore year, but it's kind of a pivotal moment in your career. I want to say, because this is the first time you qualify for nationals and we had to do it kind of the hard way because we were, for those who ran, where we hope college, Mm -hmm. if they still the same course, it's like a hundred meters straight away Mm -hmm. and then immediate left-hand turn. And we were what box two, like we were the, the furthest on the inside and 
Corey told us to get out as hard as we could and just hold on. And I think we were leading through the 1K mark at the regional meet, but you ended up holding on um, pretty well and you qualified for the national meet. You know, you mentioned that was your finally like you gave your permission to, you, you gave yourself permission to think about making it to the national meet. You know, when it finally hit you and I want to say Corey was the one that gave you that ribbon for beer, the medal for being all region. You gave him a hug. You know, was that when it hit you that you were finally heading to the national meet by yourself? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of bittersweet because that was also uh, one of my best friend, friends in college, Nick Basil. That was his last race. Um, he was an extremely dedicated athlete over all four of his years. And, you know, I really wanted to like go to nationals for him um but it didn't happen and so I was really it was kind of bittersweet you know just to like a string of bittersweet moments like in my DePaul career where it's just like I'm happy that I had some some success but Nick wasn't coming you know a guy who I thought deserved it more than I did even but still I was happy and yeah there is a really special moment and there's also a picture of it I think where Corey was handing out the medals and like you know, he got to put one on one of his athletes who was going to nationals. And, uh, you know, we had a hug and it was really cool. And I was like, Oh, the national meet, like, awesome. I'm going to that plate. I'm like, I'm going to that meet that I identified last year somewhere. I just kind of had to be. The team definitely had a similar reaction. Cause I think what our results at Oshkosh was that three or four weeks prior would have been good yeah. enough to get us as a team. And that just stung knowing that like my performance impacted that but then you know you have someone who's going to the national meet for the first time and you kind of instantly all right let's brush that aside but i think that maybe it was a theme the next few years of kind of like brushing the team success aside and 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 being very happy for your success because i think we were all motivated by it but then we can never get it over the hump which we are so close we were always just like one guy away yeah one guy away one like you know, a couple weeks of training away, you know, it was always, it was always just like that. (laughs) What was that experience like going to the national meet? You know, you get to drive with Corey, just two of you since the team's not going and you get to go to Warburg where Corey went to and run the national meet there. You know, was there any, uh, you know, memories that Corey got to share with you about, you know, going to his alma mater to run your first national meet? Oh yeah. I took a campus tour of Warburg with Corey and, you know, it was weird. He's just walking around campus. He's like, and that's where I met Stacy. And then he points out a window and he's like, I pushed a fridge out of that window. And I'm just like, he pushed a fridge out of that, you know, or just, or maybe it was air conditioner or something, but you know, it, it was the first time, like I got to know Corey as like a person, you know, rather than just my coach. And, you know, the first time I had just like one-on-one, um, time with him without anybody else around. And it was obviously very special for him to be back at his alma mater. We went and saw his like hall of fame, um, plaque and everything. And so it was really cool. It was special to get to know him and, you know, spend some time in the car together <laughs> and then, and then run, run the race there, which was also, you know, a wild experience. Yeah. I remember it freezing watching. We drove for eight hours. I don't know. It was far. We drove and then the car broke down regardless it was a windy day and we like to say you're the 68th loser, but you know, for your first national meet, you finished 69th. Nice. You know, so, (laughs) 
take us through that race. You know, you've never been to the state meet before, but now you're lined up in the national meet against D3's best. How nervous were you? What were you feeling? You know, did you have any expectations heading into the meet? No, no expectations. Um, and consequently, you know, I was feeling competitive, but, and, but not necessarily, not exceedingly nervous because, you know, who cares? Like, it was like, I wanted to run well, but I didn't think I was good enough to be an All-American. And so I didn't put that pressure on myself. And then also I, I was running only for like individual glory. And so I just wanted to do my best. And, and I just remember like the ferocity of the race, like how hard it went out. And then realizing when I was running in 80th or whatever, that the pace was just going to be like that. It was going to be unrelenting. It was so fast the whole way, you know, you'd pass five people, you'd be passed by five people, but the whole time I'm running, you know, as fast as I really ever had um, to that point. And so on a more challenging course and a more challenging day. And so it was very exhilarating to be exposed to that level of competition because it's like, you feel good about making it there, but then you realize, oh, there's a whole nother level to this. You know, I'm just like, I was at the front of the pack at regionals, which was great, but now I'm just, this is a new race and now I'm a middle pack guy again. And so it legitimized my running to some extent, but it also it showed me like what was possible. Um, and so that was really exciting. Did you leave that race with a new, you know, a big thing that we talked about with Lucy last week was, you know, events that took place in your running career that then ultimately like changed the way you thought about yourself. Did that give you a whole new perspective of who you were as a runner? Yeah, for sure. I mean, once you go there, you never want to not be there again, you know, like even just seeing it as a spectator. That's why when I decided that like, this is where I'm going to be, <laughs> you know, like this is the meat I have to run in. And so from then on, you know, not making it to nationals would have been a huge disappointment. And so then just by definition, you're thinking of yourself as a national caliber runner. And so if I think I can be top 50 in the country, then I should be top whatever at the smaller race. And so, yeah, I held myself to a much higher standard. And I was also like the undisputed top guy on the pause team at that point, even though I was still only a sophomore there's a certain level of leadership that you just have to take on when you're like the performance leader of the team. And so I felt like legitimized um, both my running, but also like, okay, I need to kind of like take the reins of the team now too. That was for sure, you know, performance, like, Oh, Noah's the guy we kind of look up to for that. But also too, I think you brought a good balance to what you wanted to have in your college experience. And it's funny because you're like, I took myself to the next level, but then after the national meet, you go off to some country for winter term. But I think that's the reason you come to a place like this, where you can be a legitimate runner, go do a really cool winter term trip, and then come back and just get better as the season goes on, you know, how much of that experience of being able to go to different countries and not, uh, during the winter term trip, you know, kind of help your longevity for track seasons. Yeah. I mean those, so yeah, we have a winter term. And so in January I would, I disappeared every year basically. And so I went to 
you know, after that national meet um, that January, I went to South Africa for a few weeks and, you know, didn't run a step. And also I took a break after nationals. And so basically I'd come back in February, not having run since like early November. And so it's like, did that help my performance in track season? Like, no, you know, I would have been a much better track athlete had I not done that. But also I wanted to do it, you know? Yeah. Let's go through. Um, so you ran 909 in a 3k and uh, oh, we're talking, we're talking indoor. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're not going to get to the good stuff yeah. yet. I just want to make sure people know yeah. <laughs> how well you improved throughout the season. You went 909 in a 3k. Can I back you up? Because I think before that I ran like an 800. I think you my first at, race back was an 800 at DePauw. You might it, have been oh, a DMR. It was in a, it was in a DMR. Yeah, and against I'm us. Just, yeah. And so I've been running for like a week and a half. And then Corey put me on the DMR and the 800. And I remember, I remember seeing spots like blacking out in the, in the third lap and running 204 and just being like, that was a pretty good day. <laughs> And in hindsight, realizing that like your, that's your max speed through like for the rest of your career is 204, 800. I still, that's my PR still, 204. You didn't do an early bird? Oh, it is. Yeah. Cause then the early bird, man, Noah had wheels. He ran 427 at, at, at the Anderson meet. First Rose Holman early bird, the classic 1500, 800 Rose Holman early bird double that Corey loves to have you do. Yeah. You ran, you ran 406, 204. No big deal. Yeah. My double, my senior year was my senior year. It was better, but um, we don't have to get to that. That's later. I was happy about that double. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, fine. You know, that's a, that's a fine double for someone who, um, you know, was top 70 in the nation, you know, not an all American type double, but we'll, you'll get there. So yeah. the theme of you coming back of injuries and going to big highs continues because all of a sudden you run 1527 and 1525 in back-to-back weekends. And then out of nowhere, you run 1444. And something that you always ask guests is the opportunity for those races, um, you know, to put yourself in a field where you can run up to the competition, like you mentioned at the national meet. And this is really the first time you're kind of given a chance at a good field and you took advantage of it. Was, was this just completely out of left field? I mean, you dropped 41 seconds in seven days. Yeah. Then I don't think the numbers tell the whole story. Cause I ran 1527 at the paw. It was super windy. Um, and then the 1525 or three or whatever, that was at the little state meet. And that was like, we were so much slower through two miles and then had a hard close and still ended up running basically the same time and so I was like okay you know that's an improvement running the same time off a slow pace like that means I'm getting better and then at Rose Holman that was a a night meet and um and I'd heard that there were going to be some wash you guys who were being paced um to run the provisional standard which is 1445 and um I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, why not just grab onto the end of that back of them and see what happens. And, and it was just like such a magical night. It was just like a storm was rolling in, but it was like perfect conditions. And I just remember like being on the field and just like feeling extremely powerful, like in a way that I've only experienced a few times in my running career. And that was one of them. Um, but anyway, in the race, I just, I just went out and just, and just held on as long as possible. And, 
um, I actually have a video of the whole thing that Nick was taking on his like little video device. And, and so you'll see me run by and he's just screaming his head off and then, and then he's running with it across the field and every lap you can tell that the energy is just rising and rising because nobody had run that fast at the pond a really long time and i i came through in 926 and i hear nick just go he's like you son of a bitch yeah <laughs> and and then i ended up running 1444 and it was just like you know an absolute breakthrough for me i think that legitimized our view of you obviously you made it to nationals but like you necessarily didn't have the times, you know? And so yeah. it's like, oh shit, no, we're just ran fortune 44. Like we got to get our act together. Like this is something that, uh, you know, I think brought confidence and then we got to go suffer in the 10 K at conference. And that was just miserable. <laughs> Did that running fortune 44, because then you had to go double and you ran against the center kid. Um, what was his name? Clint. Yeah. Clint. Cahal. Yeah. And you, you know, we were in a pretty good conference that year still, and this is your sophomore year. You started racing better, I want to say. Did that 14.44, while you maybe didn't run some fast times at conference, you started racing more intelligently. Did you feel like you kind of shifted the way you ran then, knowing that you had 14.44 in the rear of your mirror? I think it just showed me that, like, okay, I should be contending to win races. You know, like, Clint was on another level than me, as I remember. At least, at least that's how I viewed him. And so I, I didn't think I was going to beat him, but I was just like, okay, I need to be competitive in the top third of races now. And uh, and that's just kind of what I did. I don't really remember the 5K, but I do remember the 10K because you and I started it together and we're just like, oh, this is great. And maybe we've told this story before, but there's like two pictures of that race. And there's, there's one of you and I next to each other and we're smiling and you can see the clock in the background that it's like the first lap or the first couple laps. And then there's another picture and our, we're both like on the downstep, our faces are just like drooping. We look miserable and it's like six minutes in or something. Yeah. Um, we went from nineties to like 75s, like within yeah. milliseconds of, yeah, you started ten- suffering my shins, which is such a lame excuse, but I kid you not, they were just like the worst pain I've ever had in my entire life. And I immediately, I remember like at this point I'm jogging, sorry to take your thunder. I'm just jogging and Corey's like, just get off the track. You got the 5k. And like, I was so upset at myself and I just jumped into the ice bath with my shoes still on because my legs were in so much pain. And then I ran like shit in the next 5k. So it's like, yeah. You're just another D3 kid with shin splints. You're going to you're gonna get made fun of for that. <laughs> Shoot, I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> so as you head into your junior year, you're becoming more of a leader, both performance-wise and on the team in general. You've come off a national qualifying in the, in the cross country. You're in 1444 on the track, yet you don't run any other qualifying meet to get yourself to the national meet what goals did you set for yourself that you thought were attainable? Um, really my only goal was to make cross country nationals again. Um, that that's kind of all I wanted to do. I just, I felt a lot of pressure to like, you know, kind of like Lucy was talking about, make that normal, like definitely be the guy who's going to nationals. And so that was, I think that was my only 
like big goal. I didn't really have a goal for the national meet. I just like wanted to be there. And so, um, and I had a decent, I had a decent summer. I, that was the first year I lit, I moved to Bloomington, Indiana and lived with my friend Corey. And so we had our own place. Um, and I worked, um, at a boat marina cleaning boats and just got my running in whenever I could, I guess, and just kind of lived that life away from home. And that was, that was good for me and showed up on campus, you know, feeling relatively fit, but also remembering that the snake is long. That, uh, if we could do anything, if we could go back in time, it would get us all together and somehow work and do the real main DePauw style. Cause I think mm-hmm. we we're all, I remember just being at home or in the suburbs and just visioning us making the national meet. And that's all I would visualize the entire summer. And so I probably just go way too hard and drove myself into anemia. So I couldn't help you out there. Sorry, but let's that's talk okay. about your breakthroughs year. You're running with confidence. You're gaining momentum. You're winning races at this point. And where would conference race was that when you ran with Bobby over or is that your senior year Bobby over was senior year junior year that was oh, that was Wittenberg uh, that was the Wabash guys that was D solid combo and yeah. then Kevin McCarthy yeah so we're in a pretty good conference at this point now we we, tra- we moved to the NCAC and are running against Denison's and Wabash and uh you know the rest of that school and as you mentioned those two individuals uh ended up Play, I think we had three guys in the conference place in the top 10, you know, as you were sort of beginning to race against them and you knew their resumes, how did that change your inner view of yourself, knowing that you were able to compete with, you know, some of the nation's best? Yeah. I mean, I remember running through like the woods at the conference, my junior year, and I was running step for step with uh, Brian David, who was Wabash's number two guy. And like I could see Kevin and D and I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Like I'm really, I'm really doing something here. You know, that's like the one snapshot I remember of that race. Um, And so like, I knew that I still was not on the top level, you know, but I was all of a sudden, you know, could throw a rock and hit it. And so, yeah, that was really, that was really motivating, but it was still feeling accidental I guess I wasn't putting pressure on me to be, I wasn't putting pressure on myself to have to be that guy, but it, it, it felt like it was just kind of happening. And it was like, I was legitimately just like having a lot of fun, like surprising myself. At this point, do you remember how much mileage you were running and your, tr- what your training was like? Yeah, I, th- I think I was running about 60, 60 miles a week. And that, and I would take a day off every other week is kind of how I, structured it during the season and you know our the workouts their training philosophy kind of fluctuated a little bit year to year but you know we would do those kind of longer cross-country interval workouts in the nature park um we would never touch the track until the postseason and so a lot of our workouts were kind of arbitrary i guess they were hard to measure until we got on the track in the postseason and so I think that was, that was always good for me because like there wasn't a whole lot to compare times to because, you know, some days it's just incredibly hot or some days it's windy and you're running on crushed gravel. Um, and so I took more 
confidence from like volume of work that we were doing and also some of the trails would be flooded out and just be smaller the next year yeah the 1200 meter loop no idea how how, what the distance is on that loop yeah the 1200 meter loop is now like 1050 you know and (laughs) just like irrelevant you know as as you mentioned you're always a big fan of the sport and you know would follow along knowing that you were running 60 miles a week but yet you're competing with some of the nation's best. Did you ever feel like that was enough or did you feel like you had to take your train to the next level? I mean, I felt like 60 was the next, that was the next level from where I was at the year prior. And so, and especially on our team, there wasn't really, there were no guys running a hundred miles a week. You know, the top guys on our team mileage wise were running 70, you know, and I was, and I was beating those guys. And so I was just kind of like, well, you know, I guess I didn't totally understand how the benefit of that more mileage would have to me that would outweigh the injury risk. And so, I mean, the next year I would run more consistently in the seventies, still low, you know, for a college senior, but higher than I was junior year and still top of our team and so like I was a big fan of the sport like I loved watching pro running but I don't think I really understood how much they were training you know like I didn't compare myself your junior year still that national meet you're running 60 miles a week some guys are probably cranking out 100 mile weeks you finished ninth which I think shocked literally our entire team um, brought Corey to tears, probably you to tears as well. And I remember just jumping literally out of my pants. I think they fell down because they were too bad <laughs> as you're we finishing. And we all had signs and just freezing up at Oshkosh. And I remember, I forget what podcast you were on, but you mentioned how you just kept feeling good and you kept moving up. And next thing you knew you were ninth, you know, and, and I remember, I think you even beat, might've beaten D or Kevin. Um, I'm not, I, I should pull up the Tifers list, but my goal of this episode is to not look at your Tifers. Oh, wait, I already have. So I ruined it. Ooh. Oh, uh, but take us through that race a little bit more eloquently that I just described. You know, you go from 69th to 9th and not only did you move into all American, but you moved into the top 10 in the nation. You know, what was that emotion like throughout the race before you even got done? Uh, I remember Corey telling me to go out in the top third of the race and that like becoming an All-American was possible, you know, and like that's kind of a theme I've touched on before. Like Corey was very strategic about when he would tell me these things and like give me the permission to accept it as reality where I wouldn't have set that goal for myself probably. And so anyway, I, I got out in the first third of the race, like perfect. Um, some guy went just really hard off the front and won and never, nobody ever saw him again. I forget who, I forget who that was, but you know, I, it was just like, you know, I remember the race now is probably being like the best I've ever felt in a race. Like it was just one of those kind of magic days where every time you ask your body to do a little more or to go a little faster, like it responds immediately. And, and so I just was feeding off like the incredible energy of the crowds, like, especially at Oshkosh. Um, People have been there will know that, 
you know, it's very fan friendly. They can see a lot of the course and get from point to point. So it was always crowded. And I mean, eventually I just realized that there were not that many guys around, like the experience I'd had the year prior of running in this constantly like fluctuating pack. All of a sudden I was running in a single file of guys and, and guys who I knew were really good. And, um, I just, I mean, I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And, uh, sometimes you, when you realize you're having a good day, it just like becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and you catch fire. Um, and I did, and it was just like super special. And it was just one of those, it was another one of those moments where you're just like, you're redefined by one race. And all of a sudden, like, instead of, you know, just being just, I mean, all being all American is great, but just being all American, you finish that race and you're like, okay, next year, I'm going to be a favorite to win, you know? Yeah. Before we, we get into that, I want to, you know, put a pause on that really quickly and talk about you and Corey, you know, you mentioned that he was able to, you know, feed you what you wanted, what you needed to hear, I should say at the right time, you know, and I think that becomes the art of coaching, but more importantly, I think he was able to read and know your relationship pretty well. You know, what was your relationship like as a whole beyond those nuggets of truth when you needed it the most? It was solid. I mean, I, he was, I, I trusted everything that he was assigning for us. You know, I, I just, I never questioned the, the training um, because it was the most structured training I'd ever had. Um, and so I just took what he knew as truth. I think we got along just as people, especially having gotten to know each other, you know, on some of those trips where only he and I were going and, you know, I, there were definitely things like we didn't see eye to eye on, you know, like politics or whatever, but like, um, I think as people, we really liked each other and like, I got his sense of humor, which if you don't get a sense of humor, like you may not like it, you know? And so, yeah, I just like bonded with him uh, as a human being. And I thought, yeah. And so when he did offer those, those moments, they meant so much more because I knew he wasn't just saying it, you know? When you finished ninth, you go from, never qualifying for a high school state meet to the ninth in the nation. Was there a moment either in the car ride back or a few days later that it like hit you on where you finished and what you were becoming as a runner? Um, yeah. I mean, it's hard to identify like a single moment this, this long after the fact, but I mean, I definitely like carried myself differently after that. I mean, it gives you more confidence. It has to, um, and I was just so relieved, you know, the fact that I just made it to nationals again, that being able to have a great performance was just like icing on the top, but also, you know, I was ready for the season to be done. I wanted to go back to drinking and whatever, and, and just like being a normal college student. So I was pretty ready to like turn it off again. And then I took another winter term trip that year. Um, and then the cycle of <laughs> the cycle yeah. repeated itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so we, we find ourselves with you missing the entirety of outdoor track. Your last performance was the 3K, 5K indoor double. Um, mm. You finished third and fifth in the 3K and the five. That's funny. You were third in the 3K and fifth in the 5K. Huh. 
numbers. Nice. Then we don't see you until Calvin and you finish fourth. But what did this injury bring to you after having, you know, even more incredible highs of not just being a varsity owner, but you were then ninth in the nation? Yeah. I mean, the injury was frustrating because I kind of knew that, you know, I was racing those indoor races off, off weeks of training, you know, like two to four weeks of running. And I doubled in the 5k and 3k and ran like well enough to score at conference. But like, I've always been like my aerobic system develops faster than my, you know, leg strength does. And so I, I just knew that I was going to hurt myself, <laughs> you know, and but I just remember like the uh, getting a pain in my shin and then just doing the thing that runners do where you're just like really overanalyzing the pain and just like training through it and just like jumping on it to see if that hurts or like, what if I jump on it with shoes on? Like, does that still hurt? You know? And I, I just remember running to the gym to cross train and like barely getting there and just being like, all right, it's over, you know? And it just took way longer to heal. And so that was actually fairly devastating, especially after the success I'd had in the 5k the year before, but you know, like you just get on. Did you take the same approach as just not identifying as a runner or did, or since because of your recent success, did it change the way you took your uh, rehab? Um, No, I wasn't doing any rehab. Um, You know, I, I, yeah, I was still trying to be present as much as possible with the team because I did feel like more of a leader at this point, but like, still it was hard for me to be as well connected as I would have been if I was running, but you know, I was definitely doing other normal college things and kind of prioritizing my social life um, in ways that I wouldn't have been able to, if I was having a season and maybe that was just to cope with the injury or whatever, but like, you know, I just had to take my mind off of running all the time. Were you able to easily flip that switch then that summer going into senior year, you know, it's your last cross country season. You're probably feeling somewhat healthy. And unlike your freshman and sophomore year, you come out, you know, guns blazing. So what was that summer like? Yeah. I mean, definitely as soon as my shin was feeling better, I was ready to to go again. Like it was easy for me to jump back in as soon as I had the health to do it. And so I lived in Bloomington again, um, that following year and just, you know, had a better summer of training than I had the year prior and just did a little bit more, you know, running 50 or 60 miles over the summer and still nothing crazy, but like definitely getting to campus, um, in a better spot than, than I had previously. Um, just because, yeah, it's like, I knew that taking a shot at a top five or a podium or even the win was now a reality. And it was my last year. And also the last year for us as a team to qualify because we struck out again the year before. And so I, but, you know, we still had a good group. Um, I thought that we could make it. I thought junior year was probably our best shot, but I was like, why we, we could still do it. And so I was really motivated by that too. Yeah. This year, this was the year where I think we had like, it, we ran three times at Terre Haute and mm-hmm. back-to-back races. We had Rose Holman pre-national meet and then the Brooks meet and you won both of them, which mm-hmm. obviously pre-national meet, it looked like there was a decent amount of, you know, national ranked teams, but then the Brooks uh, Oshkosh meet, 
is always something that we got up for because we love that meat as it's a pretty big Midwest meat. And you want both. Did that allow you to believe that you were, could be a contender come the national meat time? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like winning pre-nats was awesome. Like I made a hard move at 5k and won by a lot, but the field wasn't super deep, but it was my, like the first win I felt like really good about. And then Oshkosh was always just so loaded. It was like a big deal. And that year the weather was so bad. I don't know if you remember, but they almost canceled. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was so cold and wet and they almost canceled the meet. We basically like were on the bus and they were like, no, you got to go start. And they started the women um, before us, but no, I think we were before them. We were before them. Yeah. Because they, their course is different. And so they, okay. they want to get us out front and then the women went like three minutes behind us. Yeah, you're right. Um, but so, but we ended up finishing through the back of the women's race. And, and I remember like, I was in a really tight battle um, with a guy named Kerr from Calvin. Um, and we entered into that final home stretch just in the thick of the D3 girls race. And I, I couldn't, I didn't know where he was. Like I couldn't find him. I just remember it being so chaotic with so many people around and I was just sprinting, 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 collapsed across the line, had no idea where he was, you know, and there's just girls all over the place. I'm like, what's happening? And uh, I ended up winning by like, like 0.1 seconds, I think. Um, yeah. 0. 0.6. 0. 0.6. Yeah. 24, so- 49.2 to 49.8. Yeah. And so that was just like the wildest race experience of my life. But I do remember leaving there being like, okay, I'm on fire. Like that was awesome. Dude. I got so pumped. I outkicked Emily Friney and I thought, you know, <laughs> what a big day for me coming down the stretch because the, for those that know Oshkosh, it's the men's race is a long straight and the women's kind of cuts in halfway through that straightaway. And so it almost like you know, you're, there's an intersect, an intersection. And if you're not careful, you're going to be running into people. I talked with Deb and John when we had that episode, cause they, you know, were big into continuing to host the meet. And they, they said that was their favorite race of all time at Oshkosh, just because of what the weather was, how well the teams were like, all right, we'll just race in it. Cause I don't think we were even warmed up. I think it was like, Hey, you yeah. have 10 minutes, get to the line and, and run an AK race. We'll in cold, wet weather without warming up. And it was just like, all right, let's just do it. I remember my, my feet went numb in the, in the opening straightaway. And I was just like, okay, like I have a long way to go with numb feet, but it's just like, <laughs> maybe they'll warm up. <laughs> you know? Slow feet don't eat. Yeah. Before we hit, hit the national meet, you know, we have a really good conference battle with Bobby over who was a fantastic runner, multi-time all American. And at this point it's you and it's you and him battling out at Worcester, which was a pretty difficult course. And again, it comes down to a less than three second victory. And I know you have a kind of a funny story about battling with him. So what was that like kind of going toe to toe with Bobby over? Yeah. I mean, I respected Bobby a lot and knew he was really good and it would take, I knew it was going to be between me and him. And so at some point early, we separated and we're just running step for step the whole race. And, and I noticed that he was like 
he seemed to be working a lot harder than I was. Like he was breathing hard and getting deep into the race. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to break him. And then we hit a small hill and he starts dry heaving, you know, just like throwing up over his shoulder, but not losing a, not losing a step like right next to me. But when he started dry heaving, I was like, there's no way that I'm going to lose this race because like, I still feel okay. And this guy is, I have made him throw up before the end of the race, you know, but he was so dogged and he held on and, uh, you know, we get to that. There's just like, you know, you can see the finish two turns or whatever. And he just takes off in a move that I, you know, didn't no way I had the leg speed to cover. And so I was like extremely disappointed because I, I almost couldn't understand it. I was like, it didn't seem like the same guy, <laughs> you know? I'm more impressed that you didn't puke after hearing him and seeing him dry heave and puke. Oh, for me, it was a great sound. Like I, I was like, okay, that's the sound of me like winning this race because he's the last guy that I have to break. And if I would have won that race, that would have been three in a row and my first conference title um going into regionals like i that you know that's what i really wanted and uh but then he just made me look stupid over the last couple hundred meters and i was like damn you know yeah i think we joked that you had more wins at major invites than the, than the football team had that year i did yeah <laughs> yeah DePaul football you know go at least they won the monon bell the last time there was one yeah, and so we finish. You finish off your regional race. Was that we went back? Oh yeah, we went back to Terre Haute that year mm-hmm. for a chance to go qualify for a race to then run again at Terre Haute. Again, the team disappoints. I disappoint. <laughs> still not. Still not over it, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, but at that point, you had to face off against a few guys that you already had raced against. Dan Kerr for one, Nick Kramer two Calvin guys, you know, you finished fifth that day. And yet, you know, again, the team, unfortunately doesn't, you know, live up to what we could have done, you know, what, you know, it kind of felt like, yeah, you were going to qualify. Let's, you know, hopefully we can catch fire, but it just was one of those days where it's like, you know, hopefully Noah can do something pretty cool. Not being with a team that qualified and you had to go to your third national meet alone. Did that ever phase you? Or is this, another national meet that you knew you could do well at by yourself? I mean, I was really disappointed not to be taking a team because I think at that point I had really been asking myself some hard questions about what kind of leader I was on the team. If I couldn't, if like I'm having all this success and, and I felt like I was trying, but I never felt like everybody else bought in to doing the things that I was doing because maybe they would see me have a great workout, but then they also might see me at a party having a couple of drinks or whatever. And, and I was kind of hard on myself because I was like, man, did I like normalize a drinking culture? But I always felt, you know, I was, I was asking like, why, why haven't I become a good enough leader to get a team who could make nationals to nationals? Because I'd been basically the team leader for three years and didn't feel like I ever made any progress changing the culture of the team. And that was always my biggest underlying goal was I wanted the team to be like it was 
um, my freshman year. And I never felt like I got there. And so I had a lot of disappointment in that, but I also felt like my individual achievements could kind of make up for that in some way. I don't know. What were you thinking about that? The year prior was probably our worst year team culture wise. I think people weren't, you know, we set ground rules and just people weren't following them. And it was kind of disheartening. I remember coming back from the library and like walked into a room and dudes are drinking dinner when it's supposed to be dry. And it's like, Hey, like, I thought we're in this together. Like, you know, yeah. having your classic college uh, cross country dry season. And yet you can't go, you know, a few days without having a beer. Like it just felt rough, but I felt like we were progressing well, you know, by the time your senior year. And then even after that, I felt like we got to a better place because, you know, once we left a new batch of guys came in and DePaul went on to win a few conference meets, which, you know, you hope you feel like you pushed it in the right direction at some point, but yeah, I felt like we were getting there. We just were, you know, a few guys short of yeah. performance wise. And I was looking it up. Um, yeah. I mean, I was our number two and I was 56th in the region, you know, that would be a strong five. You know, I don't think I, it was weird being, you know, if, flip this on me. It was always weird when, you know, I think junior and senior year, I always felt like I was a good five, six, you know, four, five, six, you know, someone that can run in support and not have to be heavily relied on for a short stick. And so then to go into that role of, you know, being the number two behind you and, and then my senior year, I was number one, like I was not a number one runner or number two runner for a team. Like if that was the case, like you know, not to discredit me, but we just weren't in a good position. If, you know, at the conference meet, I was one time I was all, it was all conference. We, I was 19th. Like you can't yeah. have your number one guy be 19th and expect to do well as a team. And so I think that, that was always the case for our team. Yeah. The team culture was getting better and better, but we were just missing the pieces to be a competitive program. Yeah, and sometimes it's like you get those pieces and the culture comes together just naturally. And so, yeah, it just never did, at least while, while I was there. And so leaving that regional race, yeah, I was super disappointed by that um, because that, that future I'd imagined my freshman year um, just never materialized. But at the same time, um, I knew that I had one more cross country race left. Um, and I assumed that would be the last cross country race I ever did. Um, and so I was really motivated by that. And hindsight now turns out it wasn't, you did club, but yeah. wasn't this the year you, was it the national meet where you couldn't sleep and you were walking around the hotel or was that before the regional meet that, that year? That was before regionals. I always felt horrible at regionals. Nationals was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, yeah, we, that was at, yeah. So national, so I got it wrong. That regional race was at Anderson. The national meet was at Terre Haute. So did it kind of feel like full circle for you? You know, you're a senior in college running the national meet at Terre Haute, which is the same location as the Indiana state meet at a race that you never ran at. So you feel like you just came, you know, completely, I guess I want to be full circle, but like you completely flipped what you or turn the tables. There we go. Uh -huh. Totally turn the tables on your running career in four years. 
yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of like, oh, okay, I finally got here. It just like took me longer than most people. Um, it, it felt like that kind of, um, but it was really special because obviously it was a really easy trip for the team to make. And so they were there in bigger numbers. And then some of my other just the paw friends were able to come. Um, my parents, um, they'd made the trips to other national meets too, but this one was really easy for them. And so it really felt like a home race um i mean it was technically our home course and so that yeah that was just really special you know and i was think i definitely like was thankful in the moment to be able to end my career um in indiana being the a critical runner as you as all of us are when you know even when you run a pr or you you finish eighth in the nation was there any sense of Ooh, I left. I think I could have done better. I mean, you, you'd won the you won the pre national meet, you won the Oshkosh meet, and then you finished eighth. Was there any? It's hard to be disappointed when you're an All American in top ten. But for someone who had dreams of winning, was there any sort of disappointment in finishing eighth? No, no, I was happy. I, I was happy one that I improved over, even if it was only one place, improved over my position. But I also took a lot of pride in that I finished top 10 two years in a row. Like I took pride in that, in that consistency. Um, and so, and I ran as hard as I could. Like I definitely did my best, you know? And I, I remember coming around a turn somewhere in that race and Chris Dietrich who was a senior my freshman year he was there and he was just he was just yelling we're all with you we're all with you and I was like oh my god you know I just that was such like a powerful moment um and so uh I think when you feel that sense of you're running for a lot of other people you get the most out of yourself and and I definitely got the most out of myself that day um and so like would I have liked to finish higher like sure but I wasn't disappointed. All of your success in terms of all American has come from cross country. Having now your senior year left of track, what was the motivation to get to a national meet? Yeah. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to make indoor. Well, that's not true. So I was going to take another trip. Um, <laughs> I went to uh, Tanzania. I went to Tanzania that January. And You're just flexing so hard on, on your world travels. Hey, it's D3, baby. Um, when you have a full scholarship, you can do stuff like that. But so anyway, my ploy to go to indoor nationals was that I raced a 5K like two or three weeks after cross country nationals, but it, ran, it went poorly. You know, I just wasn't in a good headspace. I'd kind of quit on my running at that point and didn't qualify. And so that, that was my only chance because I knew I wasn't going to qualify for indoors um, after my winter term trip. Just, I wasn't going to run. I didn't run. Um, and so I, you know, definitely got back. And once I kind of got into things, yeah, there was definitely that feeling of, well, like, huh, I've never won a conference championship. Like I, I have never made a division three national track meet, but I've been top 10 twice in cross country it just felt like okay this is my last shot like I've got to just like take a box here or else it's kind of embarrassing you know did you do anything different training wise are you still kind of getting as you mentioned you kind of progress a little bit and we're just running 70 miles a week was there anything that you felt was an indicator of what would happen come outdoor season not necessarily at the time but I know looking back in my log 
with hindsight, like I ran some workouts that would be good workouts for me now. Um, I ran those that year and like I did four by mile. I remember practice got rained out. Maybe you remember this practice got rained out. Um, and I had four by mile and I wanted to do it, but I, so I had to wait for the storm to blow over. And so I left our house at like eight o'clock. It was pitch dark. And I had to run over to the Greencastle High School track because the DePaul track was being torn up. And I, and, and I jumped the fence and I ran four by mile in the dark by myself and ran like in the low 430s for all of them. And, and it was so scary. And like, but, and then, you know, jumped the fence and ran home. And I remember being like, damn, that was a good workout. And so there were moments like that where I was like, okay, like, I'm getting in good shape. As you take the drive up to junior relays to get an opportunity to run quick in a 10K, what was the conversation like with Corey? You know, you run 29.41. Did he give you any of those nuggets of what he thought you were capable of? He might have, but there's nothing that really sticks in my memory. I mean, I remember that he just wanted me to get an opportunity to like, to put because you know especially 10ks in division three there's not a lot of options for competitive races that are going to go fast and so that was an opportunity and i give him a lot of credit for like making the time to take me there because it was just me and him again and so and so but he didn't put any pressure on me it was just kind of like okay like here's this opportunity um let's just put you on the train and like see what you can do I remember like leaving for that race and like I was walking down the stairs and you kind of pop your head over and you're like, you think you can go sub 30? And like, before I even answered, you're like, no, you can't go. Can you, you know? (laughs) And I was just like, I don't know. Like I hadn't even thought about it. I was just going to go and like run as hard as I could. I didn't even know what like a good 10 K time was. Being able to like look at your tiefers, it's clear how quickly you were progressing because you had a good, you know, 5 K like a small 5k PR, you're in 1437 on April 6th. And then mm-hmm. come April, whatever you ran it, that April 25th weekend, you're on 2941, which yeah. I'm pretty sure you negative split, right? Like you went 1450, 14, or what was your, do you remember your like 1445, 1435, something like that? Like you negative split, I remember. Yeah, it was close. I, d- I don't remember the splits, but I do have like the, the scrap of paper at my parents' house in Indiana that Corey wrote down all my splits on, like just, he just had ripped a piece of printer paper in half or whatever. And like every lap split is on there. And he get, he gave that to me. And I, I remember like, even after the race, just looking at it, like in awe of just being like, whoa, I ran 71s and 72s for 10 K. Like I, I, I really like blew my own mind that day. Did that fire you up for the national meet? Cause knowing that you qualified, I think that was like what a top five time heading into the meet, but you're senior, you're graduating. There's everything that comes with that. You know, where did, where was the line drawn between being fired up for the national meet versus wanting to soak in your last few weeks at college? Uh, there was no line. Um, I was not fired up for the national meet at all, which you know, like I will, I will say like my legs at the end of the season have felt terrible. Like I, I think if I had, 
if I had had blood work done, it would have shown that I was really anemic or something. Like I just felt awful. Like I had no momentum. I was having trouble just on easy runs. You and I were running a lot because like nobody else was still training. And so I was doing everything alone, feeling awful. And also, yeah, I was about to graduate. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I was having a lot of anxiety about that. And also just like kind of the party culture like ramps up for seniors at that point. I was only taking like three classes and one of them was theater. And like, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. And so I just soaked up, you know, I was living a social, uh, a social life for sure. And because I had kind of just been like, my legs are done. I'm just going to get sad, go home, and then like have my parents drive me to Nationals and see how I feel, you know? <laughs> yeah, I remember, I honestly vividly remember that like that week because I finished finals early. I was coming off my worst injury I probably had. It knocked me out all of outdoor season, so I couldn't even run. So I'm like, you know, very out of shape and we're running like midday because we both slept in and you're just like, I feel awful. I'm like, well, I feel awful. Cause I haven't ran in four months, you know, three months or whatever. And I was, you know, I still drove up to watch nationals. It's funny looking at your tifers, you finished 14th, you run 3103. The next result you have, even though you have track races, it's really funny that cause it doesn't have you anywhere else. It's the 2016 U.S. Olympic Trials. You're on 3102.99. So <laughs> your last two races on TFERS are 3103 and 3102. Yeah, it just like, yeah, that that 10K national meet, like I remember kicking in the home stretch not to be lapped. So I wouldn't like be in the finish Johnny Crane? photo. Johnny Crane, yeah, I was coming up. And so, yeah, that was definitely like, you know, a bad omen for championship 10Ks for me. Oh, it, no, it was Aaron Easker of Eau Claire. He outkicked Johnny by a second. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just remember being like, I got to get out of the way. Did you get lapped? No, it was close. Dang. So did that, with that in mind, did that alter your view of your national career, or not national career, your college career? Or did you still take solace in the fact that I was a two-time national or two-time All-American. I ran pretty good PRs. I came up with some school records. You know, how did you view your career as, as a depart runner? I was really happy. Yeah, I was really happy with what I was able to accomplish. The bad performance at nationals like didn't do anything to change that. It would have been nice to have one more good one, but it didn't. You know, I was able to like, I was grateful to be done <laughs> at that point because I. I just knew that, you know, momentum had not been on my side. And so I could finally like, be like, okay, now I'm done. And I could look back at, at what I'd accomplished and I felt really good about it. You know, I had two All-American certificates up um, at the indoor track, you know, I'd set the 10K school record, cross country school record. I just felt very grateful for that and felt like, wow, you know, from where I started to where I finished, um, that was a great running career. And I thought, you know, that was going to be it. Noah, I, hopefully this kind of paints your picture a little bit more clearly for your story out there. I know you've been on a lot of podcasts. We appreciate you and I <laughs> appreciate you, um, coming onto your own podcast and telling more an in-depth story of who you were as a college runner and, you know, how that has stayed with you, your career and Chris Chavez, if you made it this far, this is my audition tape. Thank you.
Thanks, Stu. I love what you guys are doing here at the podcast. It's a pleasure to support it. And I wish you guys the best of luck. Here's to the glory days. <laughs> that's another episode of d3 glory days in the bank want to thank Stu, and most importantly i want to thank me for taking the time to sit down with the podcast and share my story uh no seriously that was uh that was really cool for me uh you know i hadn't revisited some of those memories in a really long time so thanks to Stu um for bearing it with me um anyway leave a review of this podcast take a screenshot of it, tag us on social media for a chance to win a limited edition D3 Glory Days t-shirt. Until next time, here's to the Glory Days. Mm-hmm.